welcome to After Buzz. We're doing Genius today, and I'm so excited because it's my favorite period of Picasso's. It's the blue period. Uh, we're going to talk about some of my favorite paintings from this period. We're going to talk about La Vie and Mother and Child at the Beach, which we saw today. It's going to be real exciting. Stay tuned. You're tuning into the destination for TV super fan discussion, After Buzz TV. And now, let the buzz begin y'all listen up it wow i really like these flashing lights with the opera this was uh that's special that's what they had back then <laughs> this is what they had so in the opera you know, it's pink thunder gods are coming it's amazing um guys i'm really excited today because we're talking about the periods between 1902 and 1904 which is picasso's blue period uh, also, we're looking at France, 1942 to 1943, so we are in the thick of World War II mm-hmm. in France, so the epicenter of the war. Um, we meet new girlfriends, we see uh, poor, abused women, we get some resolution with Dear Germaine. It mm-hmm. is an intense episode. How did you feel about it? I liked it, even though it was very dark. I felt mm. like there there wasn't a lot, but there was a lot at the same time, if that makes sense. Like, totally. there was a few key moments that were influential in Picasso's life. Absolutely, yeah. And we talked a little bit before we came on the show about how each period is so distinct, just like his art. As we look at his art from different eras, you know, from those early 14-year-old masterpiece classic art mm-hmm. to effing up with, like, figures and shapes. And now mm-hmm. we're on just one color and we're using very long lines and very dark subject matters. Uh, each period of his life is very specific and distinct. And I, I find that really interesting that now we get to see that reflected in his personality through the amazing performance of Antonio Banderas. Holy cow. Is he feeling this or what? No, he seriously is. And I I remember just thinking, like, this is so crazy. Like, I haven't seen him in anything like this. But just because I haven't seen any of his Spanish works before. And I know those Mm. ones were definitely... More like yeah. When he I comes guess, to the states, he becomes an action star, which is like yeah. really thrilling, and it's great. Once upon a time in Mexico like is like classic <laughs> Zorro. Yes, the studio uh, blockbusters. But in Mexico, he was working with. Uh, I'm sorry, Mexico. In Spain, he was working with Pedro Almodovar, who's like this cinematic giant. Um, time me up, time me down is one of my favorite movies ever. It's so weird and bizarre, but like it's a young Antonio playing a guy who's like slightly unhinged but also in love and mm-hmm. and how does that work and how do you deal with uh being that guy's partner it, and not partner it's very weird but very very cool um and yeah I, it's good to see him get back to this kind of work it's good to see him do it in um an american-based television show um yeah, and there there is a quality about him in this show, uh, in his character, I should say, that's very, like, cold, very aloof, but at the same time brilliant, which I think is so hard to portray. Absolutely. Like, those characteristics, and he does a phenomenal job doing the, the whole range of Picasso. You know who else does a really phenomenal job? It's Maria Menounos. I think she does do an incredible <laughs> job, yeah, and she has an amazing podcast. So, for those of you who want to have fun, learn, and grow in all areas of life... I have an amazing podcast for you. It's called Conversations with Maria Menounos, podcast edition, and it's hosted by our AfterBuzz TV founder and drops every Friday on iTunes. Conversations with Maria Menounos features celebrity and influencer interviews along with secrets and tips on how to be better in all aspects of life, not just painting, you guys. From health and wellness to career, relationships, finances, and more, let our Maria be the big sister you've always wanted. So just go to iTunes and subscribe to Conversations with Maria Menounos for free. 
Be sure to rate and comment, and when you do, let Maria know that it was us, the Genius Panel, that sent you guys there. <laughs> Conversations with Maria Menounos, podcast edition. Check it out. Dude, it's three days away, and there's really, it's Fridays, it's amazing. You're like, last day of work, I'm exhausted, Maria's gonna get you set up for the weekend, and then also ready to start your Monday and get back to work. You have fun and you party. That's how Maria Menounos says it, and it's amazing. Um... Let's dive right into this episode. When we start, uh, we're going to divide up this episode by our time period. So we're going to look at 1902 to 1904, the blue period. Then we're going to go into uh, France and the current time period, 42 to 43. Mm-hmm. Paintings uh, that we saw this week, we started with Mothers and Children at the Beach, which is the name of the first painting we saw. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we have an image of that. And it's really, I really like this painting. Um, I'm not familiar with it. I haven't seen it in person. Uh that one yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah, there we go um this is kind of incredible uh this is a woman who's at a convent uh they are secluded and sanctioned off because they have syphilis and we don't need you spreading diseases Mm -hmm. um because we were cruel and we didn't have cures back in the day um so she wore a white bonnet so that they could distinct and tell which you know who was who down there I did not know that he turned that into a veil. And I find that a really, like a veil, as we saw it last night's Met Gala, is a very religious symbol of for purity yeah. and stuff. How did you feel about the scenes, specifically our kind of cruel nun? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I feel like that completely mirrored the blue period. Like her, the way she was mirrored that entire vibe. So in a way, maybe that did contribute to him bringing the essence of like this darkness to life in the form of a painting. And when I saw this painting, I actually was just thinking of Les Miserables because hmm. it kind of reminds me of, um, I shouldn't say Anne Hathaway's character. I'm forgetting. Uh, is that Satine or? Yeah. 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 Or uh, is it? There yeah. are two women and I, yeah. they exist. You it's know not, Anne Hathaway's yeah. version. Don't yeah. come in here getting me slack, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it reminds me of her uh, with her child and mm. it's just such a beautiful scene and even though it is dark, there's something about the blue that is so beautiful and yes. royal and kind of magnificent. Almost like neon before we were really using neon in a, yeah. you know... Kind of looks like our studio Outside of right labs. Here. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, it's a credit to his talent, to his genius, uh, that he can make blue feel like warm light at times. Like, yeah. It's bizarre to me. Um, we get his old dealer... Um, this is his final straw. He's like, look, I can't sell your mm-hmm. blue period paintings. This is very frustrating. What is happening here? I need stuff people can hang. And this is very similar to the conversations he was having last week with his parents and his uncle where they were like, hey, do the classics. That's what people want to see. You're a master at that. Why mm-hmm. would you want to do anything different? And so once again, we see Picasso being like, look, F you. I have to paint what I feel and what I see. And what he sees is a lot of death and a lot of sadness. Um, I mean, would you put this up in your living room, though? I oh, mean, yeah, for sure. Well, if it wasn't Picasso. Like, if you were just like, you're like, what can I do to spruce up my kitchen or my living room? I've got it. The most depressing, beautiful painting. When people walk in, this is what I want. Have you seen Carrie see. Fisher's house before? I haven't. No. Carrie Fisher has a documentary. Um, I think it was on HBO. Yeah, where she it's her and her mother Debbie Reynolds, and they live next door to each other. Debbie Reynolds has this very classic, like sixties, nice couches, you know. Yeah. Uh, traditionally styled home. Carrie Fisher's house is just knickknacks. Like the whole thing, top to bottom, is tchotchkes and knickknacks and cute dolls and like elaborate paintings and spray paint. Like it is 
there's no inch of just like bare space anywhere. Mm -hmm. That is how I live my life. And I totally, totally, because like this. You would put it in anyway. I would totally, because to me, it's beautiful. Like, if you think about it, where he painted it in the, like, in this dungeon, quarantined, like, really terrible conditions, and he put them on the beach. Mm -hmm. And and their love is what we saw, um, and their holding space translates. I just find it. I find it super beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like a stark contrast between purity and innocence, but also loss of innocence. Mm. You know, and like death. this is a beautiful baby that's come into the world and knows nothing of the way the world is, and you see like this beautiful like royal blue like light that's almost like a halo around both of them protecting them so yeah there's like a lot to this painting and And if you think i love the shadows too and the the creases and Mm. texture though he creates the folds and the cloth yeah and if you think about it he started doing religious paintings the nun even says the only thing worth painting are religious paintings and this is very much like madonna and child which we see Mm -hmm. throughout art history um so yeah i was kind of i was i really liked that we started there um after this, we see him go to Jermaine's house. Um, this is the first visit of three throughout this episode. Uh, and they talk about Carlos's death. What did you think when he kind of exploded at her? It was like, why couldn't you just love him? Yeah, I mean, I get where the anger comes from because he's so close, or he was so close to Carlos. And I think that um, in his mind, it's like, you know, he was more than worthy of, of having you. Like, why couldn't you just give him that? But sometimes, even if someone is perfect on paper and they're kind and they're wonderful and they're talented, there's just, like, that intangible quality that's not mm-hmm. there. And you can't you can't necessarily put words to it, but you can't, as, as they were talking about in the episode, you can't force someone to love you no matter how amazing you are. Totally, totally. And he experiences that with Max later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, especially in a time when we're looking at a lot of... Um, partner abuse, uh, spousal abuse in the news, which leads to kind of mass violence. It was interesting, A, to see that this is something that's been repeated throughout history. Um, and C, to there's like a humanity brought to it here. I think mm-hmm. um, when someone takes a life, on it, like obviously our sympathy for them kind of goes out the window, you know. Um, and perhaps rightfully so, but I think time and distance helps us view people as people as mm-hmm. individuals and so it was interesting like because we i i loved carles like i thought he was a really cool dude even though obviously he was dealing with a lot of depression and personal issues mm-hmm. um you know we saw the love that he had with picasso we saw his passion for painting we saw him really try to fall in love with a girl um i was upset that she blamed herself like this man literally wanted to kill you when like yeah like, there's no part of you that could possibly be held responsible for any of I those think, actions. I mean, if she, sometimes, like, as women, we replay every single thing that's happened and we overanalyze, like, what went wrong? What could I have done differently? Like, could anything have been different to have changed the outcome of this one scenario? And we, like, kind of, like, kill ourselves replaying things over and over and over again mm-hmm. and ruminating. And I think with her, I mean, we saw in one of the earlier episodes that you know, Carlos begged for her love and affection. He begged. He he did everything that he could in his power to woo her and to, to you know, kind of make her fall in love with him. And, and she said, you can't satisfy me. 
And she said this in front of everyone, which was so humiliating and degrading to him as a man. But to also, not like, be able he to satisfy pushed her. her so far into I that know. corner. Like... I know. But still, I mean, it was just one of those things where it's like, I can't, I don't blame her for it, but I, I'm sure what's going through her head is, mm. I said this one thing, what if I had done something differently? What if mm. I was kinder? What if this? What if that? And... Yeah, it's never your fault if someone takes their own life. I mean, that's their decision. But sometimes we still have to reflect upon what we did or what we contributed or what we didn't. But it's she's definitely not to blame in this scenario. For sure, for sure. But uh, And as we see all the way through the end, like this is something that follows her for a very long time. Yeah, that, that actually I found really surprising, you know, in her old age. And also, why is she way older than than Picasso, like, it looked like some weird CGI type thing where her wrinkles didn't look normal for some reason. Well, I don't know, I, I didn't notice, yeah. um, but I do, she did definitely look older than she Picasso so to me. Frail. But also, if you think, like, he came into a lot of money, he's one of the most celebrated artists in the world, mm-hmm. like, his life is much more comfortable than hers has been. Um, but she looked like Voldemort in... You know, like, one of the, <laughs> the Harry Potter movies where he's, like, <laughs> withering away, and it's like, what's happening here? She like, definitely she looks, looks like she's very literally on her deathbed. Yeah, she really does. Mm-hmm. And also, I was shocked, like, in, in my mind, I was like, really, after all these years, you guys still think about it? Like, I didn't realize it was that traumatic of an experience, and I also didn't realize the significance of Carla's until now. I thought it was just one of those things where, yeah, he was a friend, yeah, he was, like, kind of, like, a past love. I never realized the extent of their friendship or how his life and loss of life affected their lives. Yeah, I mean, what they went through, I mean, they have PTSD. Like, you know, his best friend with whom he lived for for like three or four years, they lived together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he shot himself five feet away. Um, she was supposed to die that day, which I'm sure is like crazy to think about. Um, but I, I definitely did not know that it was Carla's death that sparked the blue period. It's mm-hmm. one of literally my favorite pieces. Like, we'll get to it, but I'll show you my favorite piece at the end. But it's, uh, I think it's just really cool when you can work in one color and create such visual imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, Max was able to create a lot of visual imagery with just his words. He describes himself as a poet, a critic, and a fortune teller. Um, <laughs> And what did they get a fortunate like meeting? You know, he sees Picasso's paintings at the old dealer's uh, space. He's like, "Look, that's great. I got to see more." And he's like, "Yeah, I guess you can go see Picasso." Uh, so he shows up, and Picasso's like, "Nobody wants my paintings. I'm just no good." He's entering. It's the blue period, and he's also sad. <laughs> like, it's not a great time for him. Uh, and Max picks him right up. He's like, "No, this is brilliant. I want to live my life." fully and i want to see everything like i want mm-hmm. to see the bad stuff i want to see the good stuff um and he welcomes him into his house and it's such a like instant sacrifice i was wondering did it seem i don't say too fast but when people move in together like very quickly i'm always like no it's gonna be bad yeah how is this possibly going to work it's messy i know i always feel like what are people doing when they move in together like why (laughs) why are you testing things out like it's just like take it slowly and then eventually yeah you can live together i i'm not a fan of of that like i just think it's a recipe for disaster like get to know each other first like when you live together there are all these other things that come to the forefront 
that you would never know otherwise. And I just know this because, like, think about living, like, with one of your best friends that you've known forever. Like, you, you, can know your, you can know your best friend and be so close to them and then live with them and be like, where did this come from? Like, <laughs> ew, like, where did this <laughs> habit come from? This is not compatible with my lifestyle whatsoever. I feel like that when you move in with a stranger, there are no preconceived notions. And so yeah, everything you true. get is kind of something that you just wind up accepting. And mm-hmm. Max and Picasso get along like gangbusters instantly. Like, they go to see uh, Puccini's... Um, which we were listening to at the beginning, uh, one of his operas, and they're like, oh my God, I'm so jealous. He has so many instruments and voices, and he can create all of this impact and emotional impact because he has so much to work with, whereas Picasso's like, I choose to work with one color right now, and I only have paint. Um, and even Max is like, you know, I only have my words to sell it. But we see Max get a little bit brave when he recites one of his own poems. They've been reciting poems and Picasso guesses, you know, oh, who composed that poem? So Max slips one of his own in there and you get to see the reversal of what we saw earlier where Max was in Picasso's studio gushing over his work. Now Picasso is telling him what a great poet he is. Um, From there, of course, we get to the suicide attempt, which is very scary. Mm -hmm. Max does others, one of his ways of escaping. Um, As we learn later, he's gay and so he's running away from a lot of things. What did you think about this balcony scene as Max is trying to talk Picasso down as he's teetering on the ledge, um, contemplating whether or not to follow Carles into death. Yeah, I was surprised by it, honestly. Like, I just, in, in my mind, I was like, this has less to do with Carles and more to do with your feelings of frustration as an artist. That's hmm. what it felt like when I was uh, when I was watching it, especially when Picasso was stating, you know, I understand where Carles is coming from. Um, Sometimes you just feel like you're a failure or this or that, and it all makes sense to me now. So I think for him it was kind of that struggle within himself where he relates to Carles because he feels the same way in the sense that, like, what am I doing with my life right now? I, I'm i not a great artist. <laughs> like, he has a lot of self-doubt. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though he knows he's talented, he, he still doesn't feel like, you know, he's reached the level of greatness he aspires to reach, and he kind of is willing to throw that away. And I think the whole Carles suicide is more of an excuse uh, than the real reason why he's kind of Hmm. contemplating his own death and mortality. So I thought more like, not only is he struggling to process like what Carles' death meant, but like he, he becomes so consumed with death. You know, everything, Mm -hmm. like his, all of the subjects he seeks out are, gaunt and um close everything's morbid yeah yeah i just i feel like maybe it was less about his his because he could still sell art like that wasn't the problem He, he could do a lot of different things i think he just felt like what's the point anymore like all i'm painting is carles and it's just i can't get over this moment Mm um i think he i think he was trapped in a thought essentially um and I think that is alleviated when he does a second visit with Jermaine and he's like, look, Carles came out to me, essentially, or I outed him. Mm-hmm. It was a weird, basically, he's like, look, I know you're in love with me, dude, and I totally love you and respect you, but I'm just not in love with you that way. And that confession, that discussion made him able to understand how Jermaine couldn't force herself to love Carles. Um I really liked that moment where we get to see them hug it out and basically say, hey, like, don't blame yourself. Like, go have an actual life. 
You know, it's it's interesting because when I see young Picasso, I just mm. see like such a sweet and not like one hundred percent innocent, but like there's something about him that's like so pure and beautiful mm. and, and kind and sweet. And it's like virtually unrecognizable from Antonio Banderas's Picasso. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to bridge that gap between two extremely different characters where they I in my eyes they feel like foils to one another. Young Picasso and adult Picasso, I just I just feel like they're virtually unrecognizable and I want to know where that stems from, especially when we see genius in both of them. Mm. Uh, I think that we will see that with Fernand Olivier, uh, mm-hmm. who is the woman we see getting abused at the top of the episode and like a horrific scene. Um, and she's this very daring, brave woman. We see her go to the train station. She uses a very little bit of money she has, gets to France, catches the eye of an artist who's like, hey, come model for me, lies to her all the way through the relationship. He's like, oh, I'll pay you. Come on. Like, it's a job. Oh, I don't have payment, but you could like sleep here. And I have food, so it'll be totally fine. And then later, when she's modeling for him, she's like, hey, we should have sex. And she's like, remember when we said we weren't going to do that because you were just giving me a place to stay? And he's like, you could stay or you, and have sex with me or you can leave. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's destitute. She has nothing, so she stays until the very end where she meets young Picasso. Um, we know this to be one of the two great loves of his life. The second is uh, Francis, Francois. Um who we'll talk about in the second half. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that his kind of love obsession with her, like they have this moment, this long gaze at each other where you're like, oh, it's serious. It's like instant. You're talking about Fernand. Uh, yes. Okay. Fernand. Young Picasso and Fernand. Okay. I think they have this instant chemistry and I think that he hasn't had that kind of love yet. You know, he's had sexual love and he's had, um, some young loves, but nothing of substance, really. But, um, but we never really saw what about her made him fall. That's the, the part that I found confusing. Like, it almost felt as if, like, when he sees women, I feel like he sees them as specimens. Like, mm. like oh, wow, there's something about her that's so tragic and broken, and this is true beauty and art in its purest form. Sure. I, I love that she's like this, like almost like an object yes. as opposed to falling in love with the soul and the essence of the person. It's more like, wow, she's beautiful. And this is the art that I have created because I am inspired by this like weird, unconventional form of beauty. And I, I get it, but I don't respect it. That part. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Well, cause then you're not, because, I mean, the way he does um, Drea? Dea? Dora. Dora. The way he does Dora is so dirty. Like, if you know you're done <laughs> with... broken faces and, like, the... Oh, my God. Like, everything is just, like, so um, disjointed and, mm. like, it's... Is that that was part of his cubism movement, correct? Like the, I don't think this is quite cubism. It wasn't cubism because every all the shapes are very rounded. Oh, was there. that rounded? Yeah, I think cubism comes a, later. I thought it was the blocky, the block part that he did of her. No, it wasn't. I I think that comes later. I okay. think and I, I think cubism will probably get its whole own episode like we got with the blue period. Okay, probably. Um, then. But I, I don't know what what genre of art is that then? I'm because not a thousand percent sure what that era is called or yeah. what that specific style is called. But because it's more, like if you look at her nose, is much more rounded. Where mm-hmm. um, the cubism paintings I'm thinking of 
almost everything is angular. Okay. Um, so I don't know. Feel free to correct me if you guys <laughs> are like Picasso experts. I totally accept it. Um, but the way Dora was like, first of all, I don't understand why she sticks around. You mm-hmm. could do better than be treated like literally nothing. And then I also find it interesting that he's like, oh, you know, as he's talking to the older version of Max when he's like, look, you need to get out of Germany. He's like, I know you're not Jewish anymore. You've converted. You're actually living in a convent, but you're gay and you're openly gay. And that is dangerous. They mm-hmm. could take you. And he's like, no, everything is fine. I'm going to stay, you know, and he asked him about Dora and he's just like, hey, we're done. Uh, she's getting tired of me. I'm tired of her. And I'm like, then let her go. Like, explain to her, this is over. There's so much, like, bitterness and resentment Mm. between both of them. And in my mind, I'm like, why is she staying? Like, she hates him. But I feel like she only hates him because he's no longer interested in her. Oh, yeah. And it's like, and it's just like this cyclical thing with them where it's like, why are you guys even around each other? And uh, I hate that he just, like, throws her away. It's so morally degrading and, Mm. like... I don't understand how you can do that with another person and just grow tired of them like that. He is nuts. Uh, I don't know why he's doing it. It's cruel. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do like what Francois is doing in this time period. We've officially moved to 1942, 1943. Uh, She tells her father, look, I'm an artist. And like her father is clearly like just losing it. Like he had a plan for her. He was like, my daughter's going to be this great independent woman. I'm going to teach her how to do that. And then she's going to be a great lawyer and I will become father of the century. Well, he taught her how to be independent, Mm -hmm. but she didn't want to be a lawyer. She wanted to be an artist. And that makes him so upset that he at one point agrees with the Nazis. He's like, the Nazis are right. Picasso, awful. And she's like, are we, we really agreeing with Nazis now? That's. That's what's happening. Um, I feel her pain so hard, especially as a first-generation Arab-American woman and having immigrant parents where, you know, they have this concept in their mind of, oh, like, a normal person who graduates from X school Mm -hmm. goes and becomes a doctor, a lawyer, an entrepreneur, like, do something, go to business school, go to grad school. So I totally feel Francois' pain because, you know, my passion is pursuing hosting, reporting, journalism, and when you have a passion and you're so convinced that you're going to do it, you're going to do it no matter what it takes, even if that means your parents aren't on board. And I hope that Francois's father will come around, but it doesn't seem like he will. Because, I mean, he didn't even want to look at her paintings. Yeah, because in, in his eyes, it just seems very unrealistic and very, like, it's a career that's not pragmatic, right? You know, it's something that is entirely based on, like, it's it's very subjective. It's not like you make X amount of money and you do this. He probably has, like, this vision in his mind that my daughter's going to become a struggling artist and mm. why should she have that when and she's, she's so educated on... and she comes from, like, this family that has, like, that's within a certain socioeconomic status, sure. classy, whatever, why resort to becoming an artist like when especially that's like, when you're relying on a 60 year old man to you know yeah. take over your career essentially or lead you or guide you and and to her credit i'm like okay but i would really like to work with like the master of my genre right now that would be really great um and he thinks i'm good and you won't even come look at my paintings if you're gonna push back that hard she's gonna buck back like if i had a daughter though not gonna lie if i had a daughter and she said that she was working with some 60 year old man who wanted to mentor her Mm -hmm. and her artistic endeavors 
I would be like, honey, are you joking? I thought I taught you way better than that than to rely on some man in his 60s that's like notorious for sleeping with multiple women. Not just like any man who's like <laughs> reputable. He's notorious for being a womanizer. I would be like, no, like this is but not happening under my watch. In this episode, she also she's like, look, I'm. I've made the decision. I'm going to give my virginity to you. And he was like, okay, there's a huge difference between, you know, saying you're going to do it and actually being ready. Like being willing and being ready. Yes. Um, so he kind of kind of was a stand-up guy he in the end of it. He redeemed himself a he little really bit. really came around. Yeah. I was, I was shocked. I was like, okay, all right, I'm back on board. I think he was looking... He needed fire and passion when he and Dora got together. Like, that was the thing he was looking for. Like, everything is new and exciting. He tried the family thing with uh, Teresa. He didn't like that. Mm -hmm. Then he was like, ooh, well, we'll have, like, whirlwind romances. And she's so unconventional. She doesn't believe in marriage or religion or anything. And now he wants to recapture, you know, he's old. He wants to recapture that innocence that he had in his youth, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what he's going to get with her because she's, just wants to make good art and that's the thing that when he started out he was looking for and so i think he's kind of come full circle and Mm -hmm. we're seeing the girl that first made his heartbeat and you know the girl who kind of helped him just get into his old age groove of art yeah (laughs) essentially um he also doesn't want things to be handed to him he wants to earn it but at the same time it's like that interesting juxtaposition of wanting to earn it but also wanting it to be consensual where yeah it's a challenge and it's hard to get but when it i get it it's going to be something that's desired by both parties which i did think was like okay this is exceptional for someone who's a womanizer yeah he's he reminds me of a lot of guys especially in la where it's like i want to chase you you know i want that to be the thing but then also at the end of the day like you need to agree with the things i say and when i say them and it's like this is a really hard it's an impossible balance to strike which is why he would never find like a one true love like he wants the impossible Mm -hmm. that's what he's trying to capture in his art too and so it makes sense that we're seeing these repeating patterns even with his friends even with his parents like everything has to be twice as hard if he unless he had just made a compromise but he's he's searching for something so specific mm-hmm. which i think is interesting and and he did talk about loneliness earlier as well with her like when he had his whole flip out yeah when he's like do you want to know what it's like to be an artist you have no idea how lonely it is you have to bury yourself you've got to immerse yourself in the work in the art and completely disappear you don't know what it's like and he goes on and on on this rant of his and when he talks about that theme of loneliness you really feel it within him like Mm -hmm. even though he's surrounded by women and he has a lot of praise and he has dora you can still be surrounded by several people and still feel lonely because being lonely has nothing to do with not being surrounded by people or being surrounded by people, it's a feeling of a lack of connection. And I think that's what a lot of people don't understand is they misunderstand loneliness to be lacking people being present when in fact loneliness is just lacking connection with people, which is completely different. And that's why I think with Francois, you know, she brings this element of connection where he kind of sees himself in her. Where, oh, Francois is like a young Picasso. She has potential. She has talent. She just needs that mentor to kind of guide her in the right path. And that's where the connection and the attraction and chemistry comes from. Speaking of loneliness, let's take a look at our image of the week. Our painting of the week this week is uh, the old guitarist 
It is my favorite Picasso painting, literally of all time. Honestly, probably just because of proximity. Uh, it hangs at the Art Institute in Chicago. That is my favorite museum. It's the best that is museum. The, the Art Institute of Chicago is literally the best museum I've you been know. to. And I've been to the Louvre, and I know that sounds so horrible to say. No. For some reason, it's the Art Institute in Chicago that I keep coming back Look, to. Even the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York is gorgeous. Like, I, I don't, like, most museums are just amazing. Mm -hmm. But there's the Art Institute from its layout to the way, like, there's a whole floor of miniatures, which mm -hmm. is crazy. But then if you go back, they have the Museum of Modern Art, which is freaking off the wall, like bananas nuts. And then yeah. everywhere else in between are just gorgeous paintings. And it's so easy to just stroll around. And it doesn't feel too pretentious, but it also, yeah. it does feel like art history. It's got a groundedness to it. It's definitely the best museum. That's so true. And I love this painting. Yeah. Um, I love the way that he's able to construct muscles, again, just using the blue, but, um... Some of his blue period pieces have like a pop or warmth of color. Here, the guitar conveys like a warmth that I'm yeah. sure the music was giving him at the time. Yeah. Um, it's lovely. I, I really enjoy this painting. If you haven't checked it out, you can definitely find it online. Um, I would go to uh, Chicago Art Museum. Uh, Art Institute Museum okay. website. I have words, guys. Um, and check it out there because they have one of the most high-quality photos of it. And there are a lot of people who are like, here's my version of this painting. And I'm like, that mm -hmm. is so great, Susie. But no one really cares. Uh, we have one already. Um, let's get into some predictions. Yeah, let's Really do it. quick, super fast predictions. Um, oh. And now, okay. your After Buzz TV. Predictions. Yes. Um, I definitely think that um, we're going to see the relationship between Francois and Picasso blossom even more. And I'm very interested to see Picasso and Fernand's relationship, which I just think is going to be explosive. And all that first, first loves are nuts, y'all. Mm -hmm. um, and they're together for like, what, eight, nine years, something like that? Seven years. Seven years. Yeah, while she was married, in fact. Ooh. She was married at the time that she was with Picasso for seven years. Wild. Uh, I think it's going to cause a lot of disruption, but I also think it's going to be a creative like burst for him i also think it's gonna end messy uh jaime my favorite manservant ever was like yo this thing you've got going on with francois is not going to last and he's like you know you can't see the future he's like i don't need to i know you bro this mm -hmm. is what you do you ruin relationships yeah um anything else you want to predict or mention from this episode that you really loved um i I guess I'd want to see more flashbacks, but I don't think that they're going to do it in next in the next episode. And when I say flashbacks, I mean of like young Picasso, like I think young, those are like done. baby Picasso. But I feel like that was all in like the first two episodes, and it's not really significant anymore. Mm. But I think that's how we get to the core of who he is, though. I really want to know what happened in his like early childhood that shaped him because we got that from like his sister's passing. But mm -hmm. I feel like there's so much more there that we're just not seeing. Yeah, his dad's relationship to art, his relationship to art. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't mind getting some more about him and his mother if they had any specific yeah. like, kinds of things. We definitely didn't get any didn't of really that. didn't see anything about um, that. But a little bit of school. So yeah, there might be more there. I <laughs> want to also see Francois' like, history, but I don't think we're going to see any flashbacks of her as a child because she's not the central focus. No. I think the women are kind of treated as an accessory more than like a separate like bio on each of their their lives i really hope next season we get a female genius because it's look it's really cool seeing these dudes they're amazing but also like 
Yeah. I want to see what a woman's genius. I just want those juxtapositions. I want to see what that life is like. Uh, but I'm not upset with Picasso and I'm not upset with Antonio Banderas. This has been a really great episode. Thank you guys so, so much for joining us. Um, if you're watching us on YouTube, you know, hit that like button, leave us a comment, head over to iTunes, rate us five stars, tell your friends about us. That's how <laughs> we can do more of these shows. Um, and we appreciate you guys joining us today. Until next time, where can the folks find you? You can find me on Instagram at Muna Makes Magic, or you can tune into the Rise After Show, which is right after this, actually, um, at 8 p.m. 9 p.m. 9 p.m. <laughs> it's a time. Uh, thanks, Mina. Really appreciate you being here. Uh, I'm Joelle Monique. You can find me all over the internet at Joelle Monique. Uh, head over to Nerdist website as Black Panther is released. They have a documentary coming out. I was in it. It was really awesome. Uh, also, if you are in Ontario, California, the week of the 19th and the 20th, come see me over at the Comic-Con. I've got two Star Wars panels, including one on General Thrawn, which I'm so excited about. I'll also be talking to Jason Aaron about his amazing, amazing comic, Scout. Say hi if you're there. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you guys next week. See ya. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Buzz, see you later. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.